I knew I wanted to talk about Typhoid Mary at some point on the show, just as like a special because she had fishnets and it was topical, and I kind of hit this point where I didn't want to talk about Black Canary or Zatanna for a little while. Um, so I've been hitting a bunch of Marvel characters since then. And then a couple of months ago, Hasbro released a six-inch Marvel Legends figure of Typhoid Mary. No um, sh- yeah, really? yeah, and now I actually have the figure. Um, I'll send you. I'll send you a picture, or you can do a quick Google search. It's in her more of her modern look. Um, I wish it was more of the, like the classic Ramita Junior look that they have her, but the figure still looks cool. And she's got fishnets on one leg. Um, she's got a, a sword and like a fire effect that goes around the sword. It's a cool looking figure. Hmm. Um, but like once I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. Now I'm kind of like really intrigued because I, I really I hadn't read much of her. I'd never read her first appearance. The Nocenti Ramita era of Daredevil was a pretty big blind spot for me for that character. So I knew, you know, like once I wanted to tackle this, that, you know, there were a few people that I wanted to talk to, and I knew you were probably one because I know that you in particular really championed this era. So kind of getting into the, like the the broader questions of it. First of all, is Daredevil your favorite Marvel character? Hmm. Probably by default, and it it comes from my collecting it for it. I mean, I bought the series, I'm, and I should be. I don't currently collect Daredevil. However, I still read Daredevil on the Marvel Unlimited app. Mm-hmm. So I I've got a whole discussion here about my collecting with it. But I bought the character for 16 years straight, every single month. And the thing is, I never really talked about it much. I didn't know anyone that was a Daredevil fan except for me. So it didn't really come up in conversation. And yet, when I stopped and looked back, I'm like. 16 years holy crap there's no other character i collected that long aquaman and firestorm they kept getting canceled so it's not like i could collect them straight run superman my my era of superman didn't last that long so i can't think of any single character i bought for that long except for him so i i I look back at it in that 16 year era it was about 300 comics with specials and annuals and trade paperbacks and all that stuff and since then i've gone back on marvel unlimited and read well, that, that in the library. I've read pretty much everything since then, too, which is probably another 300 issues. So I've read something like 600 issues of Daredevil. So, yeah, he probably is my favorite Marvel character, even though I really like Spider-Man, too, but I don't read much of Spider-Man. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. I'm Ryan Daly, and as you can probably tell from that cold open, this is going to be an unusual episode for the show. For one thing, once again, I am not talking about either Black Canary or Zatanna. Instead, the topic of discussion is the daredevil villain Typhoid Mary. This is the subject that I knew I was going to get to since the last episode, which was a year ago, almost. Wow. Uh, I knew I was going to do Typhoid Mary, phrasing, sorry. Uh, But I wasn't sure how. I didn't know my approach, if it would be reviewing one issue like her first appearance, or if it would be kind of a general overview of the character similar to what I did on the Gamora episode that I did with Al Sedano and John Wilson. I didn't have a plan for this episode. I didn't even know if I would do it by myself or with a guest. In fact, I'm remembering now that I might have talked to J. David Weeder from Dave's Daredevil podcast about being on this episode, in which case... Dave, if you're listening, apologies. Uh, This was not an intentional snub. Uh, You just shook out this way. And the way it did come together was the irredeemable Shag and I were coordinating his appearance on the first season of Cheerscast. And as we were getting that scheduled, I knew he was a Daredevil fan and that he particularly liked the Anacenti John Romita Jr. run. So I asked him, 
hey, when we're done talking about Cheers, do you mind if we talk about Typhoid Mary and I kind of pick your brain about her story? And I had maybe three, four discussion points that he could think about before we actually, you know, did the recording. Uh, I didn't know if this talk would yield anything I could use for the eventual episode or if it would just help me, you know, crack the nut, you know, sort of like figure out my angle. So we did the recording back in February, maybe. And after we finished the Cheers cast session, we started talking about Daredevil and Typhoid Mary. And because A, Shag loves the source material, and B, he's a really good podcaster, the conversation was awesome. We talked for an hour, and it was great. Uh, When I finally sat down to edit it, I'm like, all right, let me see how much of this is usable. And within two minutes, I realized this is the episode. This conversation is all I need. Uh, So I am recording this intro just to give it some context. I'll drop some podcast promos in the middle, and then at the end, I'll come back and I'll read your listener feedback from the previous episode. But for now, I hope you enjoy my kind of extemporaneous talk with Shag, and I will talk to you again in about 45 minutes, maybe. And how did your Daredevil collecting start? My first experience at all with Daredevil was Secret Wars 2. Secret Wars 2, I love Secret Wars 2 so much because, not because it's good, but because (laughs) what it led me to so much of of my Marvel fandom. Daredevil 223 was this crossover with Secret Wars 2. It's a really good one. It's where Beyonder gives Matt his sight back and stuff like that. It's a great story. And uh, actually, you know, since we're just chatting, I'll share a little anecdote with you. Uh, It came out in 1985. And uh, not to bring the podcast down, but my sister died in a car accident um, around this time. And I was 12 and a half or so. And it was a pretty rough time in my life, and I sort of retreated into comics. Anyway, I bought this Daredevil comic, and for whatever reason, a priest was coming by the house that day. And it had to do with the funeral arrangements and all that. But you know, in my mind, in my 12 and a half year old brain, I'm not thinking about that. All I'm thinking about is I have a comic book with a devil on it, and a priest is coming to the house. So I ran upstairs to my bedroom, and I hid that thing, like probably under 50 blankets. I was so sure that somehow the priest would walk in the house and just look up at the ceiling and sense the devil was in the house as if (laughs) his vision could burn through the ceiling and the floor or whatever my bedroom and see it under the blankets and be like satan and point at me i was sure that was going to happen so (laughs) i was pretty terrified so then uh, that was the only Daredevil I read for many years. I didn't come back to it until 1989, and I found issue 268, which is meaningless to the people at home probably. But it was this great run right after the Typhoid Mary era, actually. Daredevil was was kind of a weird spot in, in Ascenti's run. He was on the road traveling America because he is pretty much a damaged dude at the end of the Typhoid Mary, uh, Mary saga and the Inferno saga. So he was – all that crap came together and kind of knocked him for a whammy. So he was on the road traveling. And this was sort of a nice one and done. It's got this great cover. It's all in shadows and he's holding up a noose. And I read that and I was like, damn, this is good. So I immediately went back and bought a bunch of back issues. Really just bought as many as I could. 
pretty much everything from Born Again forward. So the only Miller stuff I read was Born Again. Everything else I'd read was Anacenti. So for me, Anacenti really is my core daredevil. I know most people like, you know, <gasps> gasp and like, no, Miller's the best. Well, Miller's very good. I agree with that. Uh, but I didn't go back and read his the rest of his run for many, 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 many years. So for me, it's Anacenti. Hmm. In fact, um, 259. So you, you've read this uh, Typhoid Mary stuff now, right? Yeah. Okay, so 259 is this great freaking cover. It's got, and it's pers- it, from, as far as I'm concerned, it perfectly encapsulates this era. It's got, in the background, a giant kingpin and typhoid Mary, or typhoid, I guess I should call her, and Daredevil's in the foreground, and you're looking at his back. He's all beat up to shreds, and in between are all these low-rent thugs coming at them, <laughs> and it's all these characters that, that were built up during the Innocenti run. You've got, uh, what is it, Ammo, and I, I wrote this down because I forget their names. Yeah. yeah, Bushwhacker, who's great. I love Bushwhacker. Oh, the Wild Boys and Bullet, and again, they're these – they're street-level bad guys, uh-huh. and there really shouldn't be that much of a threat. But that's the kind of folks Daredevil should fight. You know, Even Stiltman is, I think, a little bit out of punching above his weight for Daredevil. I mean, he's not really because he beats him all the time. But these guys are just violent and get a little bit of strength and stuff like that. And anyway, Typhoid saying, go get them, boys. And anyway – I love this cover, and I had it on a T-shirt and <laughs> bought it in '89, and I wore the living crap out of that shirt till it fell apart. I wish I've, I've I can't tell you how many times I've looked on eBay to see if somebody still had one for sale. They, they just found it in a closet or something. But I just I, I love it. It's it's my core Daredevil is the Innocenti run. What was your first exposure to Daredevil? I actually I was just thinking that the first time I f- I learned who the character was, it wasn't a comic. This is a pretty familiar refrain that I keep coming back to. It was started in Secret Origins, and a lot of the first places I found these superheroes was not in comics. It was in other media or merchandise. For Daredevil, it was a toy. Hmm. Um, it wasn't Secret Wars. It was after that. It was 1990. Toy Biz released their like wave of the Marvel superheroes, and mm-hmm. they continued that wave a little bit later. But the first wave, it was like eight figures. It was Spider-Man, Captain America... The Hulk, Punisher, Silver Surfer, Daredevil, and then Doctor Doom and Doctor Octopus were the villains. Um, and I remember was, was was that the Punisher where he had the flick in the back and it was yep. like a cap gun? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Okay, I bought the Punisher and the Daredevil from that series. Yeah, and a friend of mine got like for birthday or Passover or something. He got like all all eight of the the figures or something. And I just remember looking at the Daredevil and the Silver Surfer, and I was like. Do they just not paint these guys all the way? Or what's going on? <laughs> these two figures that are just completely monochromatic or something like that. Like, you had nothing. So That's um, a good point. I think they just slapped some flesh-colored paint where his chin was, and that was about yeah, it, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. But because of that, like, when I saw that toy, I just assumed he was one of the biggest, most important characters in the Marvel Universe. Mm. Like, I, I assumed, like, I was like, I'd never heard of him, but... I knew who Spider-Man, Captain America, and the Hulk were, so obviously this guy is just as big and important as that. And then uh, I, I, the first comic with Daredevil I got, and I can't think of the name, it was, uh, it was in the 300s, I think, but it was Daredevil and Ghost Rider was on the cover. Of course they were. Right, of course. <laughs> but, was, it this, was this like the Heart of Darkness kind of stuff with, uh, with it, uh, Mephisto's son, Blackheart? It very well might have been. I don't even remember the issue, like the contents of the issue now. I more just remember the cover. Um, they were like blocking like ninja stars or something thrown at them. But I, and then I did get the trade paperback for Man Without Fear. And that was my first real reading experience with Daredevil. Um, and then once Marvel Knights launched with um, uh, Kevin Smith writing and Joe Quesada on art, I followed that for a little bit. But what really got me into Daredevil and what really got its hooks on me 
it was the Brian Bendis Alex Maleev run. Oh. Um, and I mean, I mean that's great. <laughs> I know, I know. For <laughs> for fans of of your stripe and your ilk, a lot of people don't like that. But for me, like that, I I looked at that as like a a long form crime drama on the comic book page that happened to feature a character in a superhero costume, much the same way I look at the dark Knight as a, you know, a crime saga movie that happens to feature a, a guy dressed as a superhero, but it really worked for me. So I, I love that. That was also my, my introduction to typhoid Mary, even though I knew nothing else about her. Now, after that, later on, I would go back and I would read the Frank Miller stuff. And then even later than that, I read some of the early, like, you know, Stan Lee and, and the Gene Colan stuff. And I, I have a much greater appreciation for for Daredevil's world and his history and a lot of the other stories. So um, I don't think the Bendis Maleev run is, you know, it still has a a very special place in my heart, but I'm not going to say it's the greatest thing, you know, that ever happened to that character. Um, I I do think it's funny, though, like when you were talking about like the No Senti Rumi, like what happens to Matt in the Typhoid Mary arc with what Mary puts him through and then with what Mephisto and like the the Inferno story arc, all of those things that lead him to going on the road. It's kind of like, you know, I think if you picked almost any Daredevil arc or something, you're going to find him going through a lot of rough shit. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that's kind of like the the nature of the character. He's just always having the worst day of his life. It's a lot of uh, with lather, rinse, repeat with Daredevil, which is, you know, he he a bunch of bad crap happens to him. Mm-hmm. His his life, the trappings of Matt Murdock's life, you know, whether it's his law firm, his house, his, mm-hmm. his identity, secret identity, whatever, all get torn away from him. He has to rebuild himself. He goes a little crazy. Something bad happens to a woman he loves, and then he pulls himself out of it again. Lather, rinse, repeat. It just keeps happening over and over. And it's one of those characters that's like putting Daredevil's life story on a timeline. Don't do it. You right. don't. <laughs> it's it, it's like Spider-Man. Just don't. You know, it's not going to be Cerebus where it all makes sense from beginning to end. No, it's <laughs> you don't. You, you just find your era and you go with it. Now, I, I fussed and hawed over the Bendis era, but I mean, it's actually it's very, very good. But what happened with me was I was living it as it was coming out. And it was really exhausting <laughs> reading it month to month because it's like, oh, this is dark and dreary. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, this is so dark and dreary. Oh, my gosh. Oh, new issue. Oh, it's really dark and dreary. And it's only, you know, four seconds of a conversation because it's so decompressed. And so it was hard to read. And, and actually, that's what made me finally stop collecting was the Bendis era. Not because it was necessarily bad, but because I just couldn't stick with it. See, I was reading it in trades, so I, I would have that for like six months at a time. <laughs> yeah, six months I would get. Because, I mean, there's some great ones in there. Was it the underboss or whatever mm-hmm. where Matt's identity gets let out? I mean, that's yeah, a the, great story. Yeah, there's one whole issue where it's just a couple of FBI agents talking, like looking at a board with the Kingpin crime family and all of these things and trying to identify. It's like, like somebody's told us that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. Does this make sense? And it's just like these FBI agents trying to piece all these things together, and it's an amazing issue. And by the same token, I would say Brubaker's run was probably equally decompressed because Brubaker followed Bendis. However, I did read Brubaker in trades. I went, I went to the library and checked out the trades, and I was like, this is amazing. This is fantastic. You know, I loved it. It was so freaking good. Mm-hmm. So, again, but that was reading it as trades in that point. You know, for me, the, the peak Daredevil, the stuff that, you know, that I love that gives me joy, again, the Senti's era, the Frank Miller stuff, especially like Born Again, is just amazing. Put that trade in anybody's hands. I think they'll be wow. A run that does not get enough attention is the Carl Kessel and Kerry Nord run. It was in the late, 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 late 300s. 
it was so freaking good. Basically, they had been through, you know, Miller. They had been through Nascenti. They'd been through as a DG Chesterson or however you say his name or her name. I don't even know if it's a guy or girl. Anyway, they've been through all these eras of darkity, dark, 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 especially 90s darkity, dark, 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 where he's mm. in the what some people call the motocross daredevil outfit. <laughs> and then Kessel comes along and says, you know what? Daredevil used to be fun. I'm going to make him fun again. And he really did. And Kerry Nord's an amazing artist. You know, everyone knows that. And it was just awesome. It was this fantastic. Karen was back in his life. She was at a nighttime, like overnight DJ mm-hmm. on the radio and stuff like that. You know, like midnight caller style. And it was so freaking good. And not many people read it. Not many people are aware of it. And I, I constantly, I, I say this to Carl Kiesel on, on Facebook all the time. I'm like, you know, Mark Wade owes you a huge thanks because Mark Wade's run did basically the same thing, but was celebrated by everybody. And Carl is very nice and humble. He's like, oh, no, no, Mark did his own thing, but I appreciate the comparison. I'm like, no, no way, dude. And Mark Wade did exactly what Carl was doing. He just got more attention for it. Because Mark, because that's the other one I was going to say. Is after that, Mark Way's run on Daredevil is just uplifting and wonderful, and it's, it's, it deserves all the celebration it's got. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've read the Mark Wade run. I have, yeah. It's oh, so yeah. good. Yeah. I, I even like the, the current run, Charles Soule. I mean, that's that I, I didn't at first because it's such a huge departure from the Mark Wade run. The first time I like I, the Mark Wade run ends just gorgeously. And then you get to Charles Soule and he does a complete 180 with everything. And I started reading it. And it's like one of those where it's like if it was a physical comic, I would have threw it across the room. <laughs> but it was my tablet. So I'm, I just gently set it down and went, what the hell? And then kept reading and got to the point where they explain why they did the 180. And it's just, you know, it's heart wrenching. And, you know, Bendis and Brubaker, great eras. Read them in trade, but they're not the go to for me. I've got the uh, the first issue of the Soul Run in my library for Marvel Unlimited. I just need to kind of pour through a bunch of other things before I get to it. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Justice League International, Wahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as Martian Manhunter, Batman, Dr. Fate, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel, Rocket Red, Captain Atom, Mr. Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? We should um, so talk about Typhoid Mary, right? Because we're here to talk about fish nuts. I, I mean, I, I don't care either way. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's actually let's do it. Let's talk about Typhoid Mary. Um, I guess her first technical appearance is issue two hundred and fifty-two. But her first appearance as Typhoid Mary is 254. Yeah. Um, and then she's integral to this really long – I was I was fascinated by how long or how drawn out this story arc goes because it's like 254 until about 266. Now, she's not in every issue because that turns into the Inferno arc and the sort of whole sort of thing with Mephisto. But um, yeah, so the character of Mary – she has dissociative personality disorder, what we used to call split personalities. On the one hand, you have Mary, who is a kind of just sort of conventionally kind of normal girl, somewhat shy, very passive, and everything like that. And then you have Typhoid, who is crazy, lustful, violent, 
and also has superpowers. She has like <laughs> telekinetic power and pyrokinetic power. Um, and Mary is kind of a beautiful woman who inserts herself into Matt Murdock's life, and he falls for her, and then Typhoid tries to kill him, and, like, looking at, like, the whole appearance, and, like, the reason for this is she does have, like, fishnet leggings, she's got a kind of black leotard uh, over that and everything, and then, like, it almost looks like a purple or pink sweatshirt, just like kind of hanging out, like a very sort of eighties, like almost like like belly length sweatshirt or something. But it's only well, like it's, one... it's like um, flash dance. Yeah, 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 like that. Um, but with just like one sleeve, kind of like a shoulder pad. She's got knives or like machetes or swords. Big, big eighties hair that I love. That was like the biggest disappointment with with the action figure that I got. I was like, oh, it's really missing the big eight, the big hair. Yeah. Um, and then notable that Typhoid has her face is kind of like split with like white clown or mime makeup on one side of her face. A very striking physical, and and I think they've tried to subsequent like reinterpretations of trying to like make her look a little bit more modern by just making her like kind of clad in black leather but they still they always keep a little bit of the fishnets and they always keep her face kind of split like that uh what do you think of kind of just the look of the character before we get into like who she is well i I just want to say about the the modern interpretations i feel like they miss the mark the current ones i I, they don't do much for me the current she just looks like a biker chick yeah she kind of looks like everybody she's missing a little bit of i don't know she's missing a little bit of glam she's missing a little bit of prince Mm -hmm. you know kind of flash and and pizzazz i think they're missing so either way um i think she looks great she looks really cool it's interesting john Minute jr at this point he hasn't gone to his completely crazy stylized art he gets to by like uh i don't know world war hulk or whatever where he's just really his own interpretation here he's still drawing a little blockier than he was when he was doing x-men but it's it it works really well but he doesn't draw traditionally so she's supposed to be like super smoking hot and very alluring she doesn't really come across that way on the page though Mm -mm. you know because it's remitted just doesn't draw pretty looking people he can draw karen pretty but he doesn't draw her anyway either way i think the character looks great i love the action you you mentioned her powers i want to touch on some of them real quick if i can the pyrokinesis and the telekinesis, it's fair to say also both of those are very low level. So it's not like she's, you know, Jean Grey moving, you know, planes around. She just like picks up needles or picks up a, a gun or something like that. She can just enough to lift weapons pretty much is what she's doing. The pyrokinesis is kind of the same way. And I think Mary has powers too, by the way, because she totally seduces Matt. There is something going on there, whether it's a mental, you know, manipulation or pheromones or something because Matt gives in immediately to yeah. Mary. And they are making out, even though he's got Karen at home, who he loves with all his heart. And when he's away from Mary, he thinks about how much he loves Karen. But the minute he's with Mary, he can't keep his hands off her. That was probably the thing that surprised me more than anything in reading this arc was how sexual, not just she was, but kind of like the arc in general. Because, yeah, like she totally plays into Matt and, and he falls for her. And you're right. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's cheating on his longtime girlfriend. Or like this is not a heroic or noble attribute that we would look for in a superhero. You know, he's, he's definitely stepping on. And, and you're right. Like he, he wants to, you know, break it off. He split, but like, as soon as he's with her to like the point where one of like the street kids who like associate with like Matt's clinic and everything, or like law clinic and everything, like he sees like Matt kissing another woman. And the kid is devastated. He's heartbroken. Yep. Well, um, the little blind kid, Tyrone, he's like, you know, mm-hmm. when the girl, when they start making out, he's like, they think I don't know, but I right, can tell. Right. Yeah. 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 So um, here's here's the deal. The real real quick, 
why typhoid's in the in his life. This thing. So I, I, I promised I'd do this for, part for you. So Born Again Saga was amazing by Frank Miller, and in that one, the Kingpin destroyed Matt Murdock's public life. He destroyed his public. His he got him disbarred. He destroyed the, the practice. All this stuff. However, Matt rebuilt himself uh, with the new law clinic and his love affair with. Karen Page. So Matt pulls himself out of it. Well, the Kingpin couldn't stand the fact that Matt was still happy and decided that he had he had to do something about it. So he figured the best way to destroy Matt was through a broken heart. So that's where all this comes in with Typhoid. He hires Typhoid to mess up Daredevil's life. And the plan was for the Mary personality to make Matt Murdock fall in love with her, make it so Matt couldn't even stand to be without her, and thereby destroying Matt's relationship with Karen. Meanwhile, the Typhoid personality would battle Daredevil Devil all across Hell's Kitchen, and the sexual tension between them is just I mean, literally explosive. So uh, once Matt Murdock falls in love with Mary, she, her job is to break Matt's heart, yet leaving him alive and broken. That was one of the keys. He wanted him alive because he wanted him totally broken. So in the end, yes, Matt and Karen's relationship falls apart. Uh, Mary hires Daredevil's rogues to beat the crap out of him, leaving him physically broken. She then broke him emotionally by sharing that Typhoid and Mary are, in fact, the same person. Then that's where it gets weird. You mentioned already that's when Inferno comes along and messes up Matt even more. And, and really, this storyline combined with Inferno puts Matt on a, on a trajectory that just screws him up for a year or two, really, before he finally comes back to New York and pulls himself together. I mean, it really puts the book in a weird way because Daredevil's always been about New York. You know, that's what the book's about is him in Hell's Kitchen. And this ends up pushing him out of Hell's Kitchen on a totally different tangent. He goes and freaking fights the devil. He fights mm -hmm. Mephisto. He fights Ultron. I mean, some crazy crap that it leads him to. It's also worth mentioning the Kingpin gets played, too, because Kingpin's hired Mary, right? But she ends up seducing him, basically. She she messes with his head so much that he wants typhoid sexually. And, and, and they... He he gets her. Yeah, but, uh, no, that was that was the thing. It's issue two eighty or uh, two sixty one, and I went back and looked at it again because that was like a, a really sort of powerful scene where it's at that point you think or everybody thinks that Matt and Daredevil are dead. Like the the rogues kind of did their job too well, and mm -hmm. she like Typhoid just pushes him off of a bridge. And, like, Kingpin comes in and he, like, confronts her and he's like, I, you weren't supposed to kill him. He was supposed to be alive. And the Kingpin is pissed at her and she is manipulating him. She is feeding into his anger, turning it into a desire to dominate her, basically. Um, and she she seduces him into, like, in another context, like, it, it would almost be like a, like, I'm sure, like, he probably feels like he's, he's like, taking control of her and, like, almost, like, raping her and everything. But you see, like, from her perspective, she's the one controlling it. And afterwards, she's like, yeah, I've seen this look in men's eyes before. He, you know, he thinks he's broken the wild, the wild horse or something like that. And, and it's like, yeah, like, that was, like, I was just like, fascinated like like where the era that this was coming out i was like man this would have been like an hbo tv show or an hbo series or whatever long before it ever got that netflix deal i mean yeah they're like getting it on and then the scene comes back and they're putting their clothes back on they don't even hide it and like all of the plates and, like the desk is on fire like yeah <laughs> Like it's just like it's, it's scorched. Like it's it's like the, and you'll have to bleep me maybe here, but it's like the definition of grudge. I mean, really, it it fits there pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So and and yet, but it was her manipulating the whole thing. Yeah, very creepy. So yeah, she she uh. Uh, the, the only sad thing about this storyline is when Inferno comes in, it really kind of messes up the the resolution of the Mary story. Mm -hmm. You know, her story gets tied up with Mephisto and the demon stuff, so you don't really get the kind of conclusion you want 
but you almost don't need it. It's like they should have stopped it after when her and Kingpin get, get together. They could have just stopped it there and she left, mm-hmm. but they kept her around for a little bit longer and it got a little too mixed up. Well, my perhaps controversial opinion is I don't like the Inferno storyline. I kind of hate that storyline. Inferno itself or the Daredevil part of it? Because I feel like the Daredevil part is different than any other part of Inferno. I didn't like the main story. So I kind of in think the of like, story? Oh, yeah, I, I kind of like, like, so I think of like any of the, the tie-ins or the other stories that kind of came out of it. They're all a little bit tainted. Well, see, the reason I think Daredevil even bothered to participate, I mean, it is about New York, so I guess that's part of it, but Anne Nascente used to be Chris Claremont's editor mm-hmm. on X-Men, and so they were pretty tight. So I got to imagine Chris was like saying, here's what I'm looking to do, and Anne's like, oh, I can do something with that. Because if you read the X-Men issues or X-Factor or whatever, I don't even remember what was part of it, um, it the, these Daredevil issues don't read like anything else in the Inferno storyline. They are some super trippy, delusional – I mean you're reading it wondering how much of this is in Matt's head and how much of this is actually happening. Are there hundreds of people being eaten by demons right now or is Matt just thinking that's happening? It's, it's really weird and it, it's so different for Daredevil. But it's – again, it's interesting and just because it's another one of, as I said, Matt's descent into madness. There's something else. Wait, you don't like Madeline freaking Pryor with the underboob? How could you not like that? I didn't say I didn't like that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I can look at the pictures and the cover. That's fine. But most amazing cosplay I ever saw in person. Oh my gosh! I I believe it. One of the other uh, things I like about this character, and again, like for you, like you've you know, this was when you you know started reading the comics. But for me, I've just read this story arc for the first time like two months ago. Um, but one of the things that I really, really liked about the Typhoid Mary and like this idea is that you would think that Matt, with all of his suit, like I think I think it's very easy to cheat and forget that Daredevil is blind because of the way his super senses make up for all of these other things. Sure. So it'd be like, wait a minute, he doesn't know that Mary and Typhoid are the same woman. How is that possible? Well, it's explained that there is like almost physiological or biochemical differences between them, and that Mary and Typhoid have different pulse rates and heart rates, they have different body temperatures, they smell different, and it's like this really weird kind of like biochemical concoction that is is really weird because it makes Matt blind to her in a way that he's not to anybody else. And that was what I thought was, like, really cool because you could bring her back anytime as, like, another character. Like, she could have another personality. Like, it's, it's mm. actually hinted, like, she has more than two or three personalities. And I think they've played with that in, like, future appearances they, after they this. They have, yeah. So Bloody, Bloody Mary, I think. Right, right. So you could bring back a new woman into Matt's life, like a client who, you know, comes looking for him or, like, a, a, another potential love interest. Somebody who forms this new kind of connection to Matt and everything, and it's personal, but we only see them together. Now, if he had natural vision and sight he could see who it is but he doesn't so he doesn't realize until you know the dramatic twist that it's another personality of typhoid mary and it's all been a trap you can play into that again and it's a way of of utilizing the character's legitimate weakness in a way that almost never gets explored because his superpowers make up for his weakness in that way so i just thought that was really cool that typhoid has a different body chemistry almost that scrambles his radar and makes him unable to recognize, to see her as the same person as the woman he loves. So I thought that could be revisited and that could be played with. 
Well, I think Nesenti did a lot of cool things in this arc. You mentioned everything there with the typhoid being, you know, the, the different personalities, which is or different physicalities, which is great. Adding to that, so it, it, the whole setting, which is building to the, this whole picture of how miserable Matt's life is. There's also this under understory going on where it's the hottest summer ever in New York. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's miserably hot and there's a garbage strike. Yes. And so the city is just garbage piled up everywhere. And sometimes they don't focus on it, so you kind of forget about it, but some of the issues when they do, I mean, you can you can almost feel the heat in your body. Mm-hmm. Like you feel how hot it is. You can smell the stench of New York garbage, which is pretty nasty by the way. And so it's it, it all kind of builds and culminates in into this really uncomfortable setting for what Matt's already dealing with. So it's right. really, really well done. She's, I got to, I, and I think this is a fair statement. I don't think this is me being biased. Nascenti was really the next big daredevil writer after Miller. There was other people in between that did issues here and there, but nobody had this kind of powerful arc, I would say, after Miller. And she was the first one to really come out with a a really powerful arc. And obviously it resonated with Miller because he then picks up John Romita Jr., who did an exceptional job on this Daredevil run. Really, really uh, set the tone for the character. And then Miller picks him up and uses him with Man Without Fear. Yeah, I've been really impressed with what I've read of it so far. And I want to continue because I do think Nocenti's handle on the character in this world is really, really cool and really interesting. Interesting and, and fits into a different niche that I haven't seen yet. So, yeah. Now we would be remiss, by the way, if we don't mention uh, Dave's Daredevil podcast. Our mm-hmm. buddy Jay David Weeder does a Daredevil podcast, which <laughs> I pick on Dave because it comes and goes depending on what's going on in his life. So sometimes it disappears, and then he, you know, I, I feel like a, a booty call because like <laughs> yeah, I get all excited and I'm all into it, and then suddenly he's gone and yeah. it goes away for a couple months or a year or two, and then it comes back and he's like, "Hey, what's up?" You know, and I always pick up the phone though. I always take that booty call because I love his podcast. Okay, doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see ya. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at twotruefreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at twotruefreaks.com. Dot com. Take the dare. I have no self-control. I am way behind on my Marvel TV shows. I've watched Daredevil season one and two, which was phenomenal. I've watched uh, Defenders, which was phenomenal. I haven't watched Daredevil season four, uh, three yet, I guess it is. That's the last Daredevil season, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I also, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't even know this. Iron Fist, I haven't watched any of those. But Iron Fist season two, apparently Typhoid's in it. Yeah, she's played by Alice Eve, who I... I, no way. Well, yeah, I Star, love her. Star Trek Underwear Girl? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now, I think she's playing a very toned-down version of the character. Um, yeah, her chosen at powers. But, and, and uh, 
God, I mean, I, I would have loved to see her in Daredevil, and I would have loved to see that thing. Now, like, unfortunately, I don't know if I'll ever watch it because I watched the first two episodes of the first season of Iron Fist, and I was bored. Oh, I was like just super bored to death, and that was kind of like the end of Marvel Netflix for me because after that, I think I watched the first episode of Defenders, and I was bored with that too. So Dude, Defenders is so freaking good. I never finished it. I thought the first episode was boring. I, I might go, get around to that, but go back to it if you can stick to the third episode when they all come together as a team. It's freaking great. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't seen. Do what I say, damn it! <laughs> I haven't seen any more of Iron Fist. I haven't seen the the final seasons of Daredevil, Luke Cage, uh, or Jessica Jones, or or either of the seasons of Punisher. So yeah, I'm I'm quite behind on those two. But well, I think that Charlie Cox is like. He's a pretty good like I I was actually resistant to him as Daredevil at first because to me Daredevil's like red hair dude he's mm. it's like Eric Stoltz kind of red hair you yeah know, to me is what Matt should look like so when Charlie Cox came along I'm like ah, I don't look like him you know and you know I got all nerdy fanboy and then I watched it and probably I don't know within a few episodes I'm like you know what this guy's got the spirit of Matt he really does I felt like he did a good job with it and I really like his interpretation of Daredevil really really better than Ben Affleck's that's for sure I wish but, he shaved a little bit closer more than that <laughs> it was more than that it wasn't just the hair color it was the fact that he always had like this five o'clock shadow and I was like oh, you're, you're kind of ruining the hero profile when you're in costume dude it's funny because someone meets Matt Murdock right and then they meet Daredevil later the same day and he hasn't shaved and it's like come on that's gotta be the tip off you gotta be able to tell you know but yes he should shave more and he goes to freaking court he should shave before he goes to court but uh, <laughs> and I, I I made the crack about Ben Affleck by the way but I'm actually a defender of that movie I enjoyed the Daredevil movie quite a bit I, I think that there's a lot of redeeming qualities in the Daredevil movie who okay random question who are your fa- who is your favorite or who are your favorite Daredevil villains Oh, that's a tough one. I know I'm supposed to say Bullseye. Uh, I do like him, but he's sort of like the Joker. Like, I only like him once in a while, and it better be a damn big story. You better not waste him, you know? He, he feels like he has to be the arch nemesis because of the what he has done to Matt and his life throughout the years. But I also think that Bullseye is very one note. Um, yeah. I, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that because Bullseye is not my favorite. Okay. So I see. I hadn't prepared for this one, so I'm rattling people off the top of my head. Like, I love I'm Stone Man. I'm borrowing the secret question from uh, okay. our, our friends enough. of the Secret Wars and Beyond. And I'm just filling time in a frank kind of way. Uh, <laughs> I love Stiltman because he's just ridiculous. He's so funny. Like, there's this great one where Stiltman had retired for a while, and he goes to get an old suit out of storage, and he's fighting Daredevil. And Daredevil's using his senses, so he figures something out and starts banging against the legs to create this <laughs> vibration because the legs are full of cockroaches. Storage and all these cockroaches come pouring out. I mean, just Stillman can't get a break because he's ridiculous anyway. So I, right. I love that about him. Oh, gee, Gladiator's really good. Typhoid Mary, of course. Typhoid Mary is definitely up there for me as one of the top ones. I don't consider Electro a villain, so if that's what you're fishing for, you're not going to get that out of me. No, I wasn't. Jeez. Um, ah, I don't know. You, you, you talk for a bit. Who do you like? Well, I was going to, I mean, Typhoid Mary is now. Close. She's like up there, probably in like top three. But no, for me, actually, you mentioned it. It's for me, Gladiator. I've always ah, thought Gladiator was my yeah. favorite Daredevil. I, I like his look. I like the gimmick of like the saws on the hands and everything. I just, I think I like the fact that he's like this, like really kind of like mentally damaged, mentally challenged person who wants to be good and, and like as like is always trying to like be redeeming and like goes to court and Matt like will defend him and everything. But he just if he gets off his meds, you know, he's got this, he's got this problem. But. 
I also like this guy named Bullet, who people don't remember Bullet. He's he was an Anacenti villain, mm. but the, he he was basically just really big dude, and he wore like this black half mask and stuff like that. You could see his hair, but not anything below his eyes. But the in, thing that was interesting about him was he was just this covert agent guy who's out there now as a bad guy because he's trying to take care of his kid, and his kid is kind of crazy. Mm. Like his kid has built a, 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 an apocalypse shelter basically because he's sure the bombs are going to fall any day. And so it's like him trying to provide for his kid. His kid is completely paranoid about the end of the world and mutually assured destruction and all that. And it's, it's I, I, there's something about that guy that I really liked. I guess maybe it was the family element that I really liked uh, about Bullet. And again, it's, it's it hits my sweet spot with the Innocenti run. Yeah. I would say the other one that I like it would probably be in my top three along with Gladiator and Typhoid Mary now is the Owl. Um, oh, he's good. As, as yeah. kind of like a, a, a gangster type of hood and everything. It just like with the crazy hair, the sort of old, old timey, like kind of like long coat or top coat that could almost be spread out like wings. Yeah, I dig him. I'll borrow. I'll use one, but I feel like I'm borrowing is is the Purple Man, mm-hmm. because in more recent years they've done a lot with the Purple Man in the Daredevil books. He's not originally. A, I don't think he's a Daredevil. I actually don't know my history I well enough. Actually, I think he, he maybe did. he was. I think he was like his first appearance was like Daredevil six. Okay. All right. Well, then uh, I guess he's legitimately a Daredevil villain. I'm just thinking of him in the more recent years, how they've really fleshed him out. He has these kids that get involved with it and usually are trying to work with Matt. So I, they, they've done some really great Purple Man stories in more recent years that were fantastic. And, of course, David Tennant's performance in Jessica Jones mm-hmm. really, influ- it really influenced me there. Wow, that was uh, over-the-top unbelievable, that performance. I mean, it gives me nightmares. Like when I hear – anytime I hear someone say Jessica, all I can think is, is David Tennant going, Jessica! Jessica! I mean, just, oh, God, ugh. yeah. Gives me the shivers. I mean, I, I since you mentioned David Tennant, and I know that you're a Doctor Who fan, but um, oh, yeah, really? Oh, I didn't. Yeah, so I, I've watched it. <laughs> um, David Tennant is going to be in the uh, the adaptation of the um, the book Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Yes, he uh, is. He's one of the he's one of the angels, along with I think Michael Sheen is the other one. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing the two of them together as as the the angel and the demon kind of going off each other. That'd, that'd be fun. I've had that book on my bookshelf for probably 20, 25 years. I haven't got around to re- I guess I should read it. Oh, it's hilarious. It's like one of, the, it's one of like the like laugh out loud funniest books I've ever read. Uh, I'm trying to think of more villains. So. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> See, for me, he's uh, it's his kid, Frogman, from uh, Marvel Team-Up is where I love that character. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I... I Daredevil doesn't have a lot. I mean, a lot of iconic ones. I mean, like you know, Mark Wade built up some really cool ones, uh, but I mean, oh, 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 never mind. Scratch all of that. We missed the obvious one. The best Daredevil villain is the Kingpin. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Durr. Okay, feeling kind of stupid now. No, I mean, well, yeah, that's hard to argue. I would, I would say in terms of like just like a somebody that Matt can tussle with and actually like, like fight in like a normal sort of context. Because yeah. Kingpin is like sort of like in the omnipresent, almost as much as New York. Like Kingpin is New York. He's he's kind of like that type of villain for me. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I agree. And by the way, anyone that argues, no, no, Kingpin's a Spider-Man villain. Yeah, sorry, they broke up, and <laughs> he's with the new hotness. You're just gonna have to accept that. It's been that way for a long time, folks. Uh, Spider-Man did call him Chubbins, though. <laughs> Chubbins. <laughs> Shout out oh, to that. our friends on the Long Box Crusade podcast. They <laughs> nice. The hand yeah. is pretty good too. The hand is is, is a oh, pretty yeah, interesting yeah. villain too. They're they're more of an organization than an individual. But the hand was really great. I mean, Frank Miller did some really cool stuff when they introduced him, and everyone just kept going back to that well for thirty years. And most most of it's worked out pretty well. Sometimes it's like, okay, move on, folks. All right. 
I like Daredevil. He's never been my favorite hero, but in terms of just quantity of reading good comics, like I've read a ton of really, really good Daredevil comics. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a good chance that if I pick up a Daredevil comic, I'm going to be really happy with it. So uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like funny. Like I've never thought of him as like, like one of my top five Marvel heroes, but in terms of just sheer enjoyment, he's given me a lot of, you know, joy and pleasure reading experiences throughout the year. So I'm glad that I finally started reading the Nocenti runs. Cause it was really fun to read this, this whole arc with typhoid Mary and like, the really hot summer and playing into her ability to start fires, like the tr- the garbage strike and everything, and the fact that she's named typhoid after this disease, this toxin, the like this, she's just a, a poison on his life, and and this long form like way that they kind of destroy him is really really good. And, so nice that you're celebrating the destruction of a man's sanity. That's fine. I, it's not like it's the first time that's happened to Matt. Right. It was like and the it certainly wasn't time certainly it. wasn't the last either. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's funny. Again, I, I love Daredevil so much, as you said, as you made me realize, he is probably my favorite Marvel character. And again, I just don't ever talk about him. I, he, it was the first statue I ever bought. Like I, I've bought lots of action figures over the years, and I had that Daredevil one we mentioned. But the little statues, little mini busts, the first one I ever bought was a Daredevil one because I just loved him that much. Then and now I've got the entire Alpha Flight crew and Firestorm up there too. But the Daredevil one's always been close to my heart. Well, you know what. Occasionally on this podcast network that we have, we do something like a Find Your Joy episode mm-hmm. where, you know, the different hosts are encouraged to just pick something that you like and you want to talk about. And yeah, I'm should, not, you know, I'm not totally gonna I'm not gonna force you to do anything you don't want to do, but hey, you know. Maybe I'll get one of those out before this even comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you very well might. I have no plans to do release this anytime soon. That'll confuse the hell out of people. <laughs> For years, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has found its joy talking about comics. From Aquaman and Firestorm to Batman and Plastic Man. From giant treasuries to pocket-sized digests. From massive miniseries events to singular one-shot adventures. From romance to horror to whatever the hell Ohatmu or not is. In the last year, they've begun to carve a path through their favorite television shows, such as MASH, Cheers, and Justice League Unlimited and there's no sign of them stopping. What medium will fire and water conquer next? Do you like good music? Introducing Fire and Water Records, the music anthology podcast from the Fire and Water Network. Find your joy in all new ways as members of the Fire and Water Network and their friends discuss favorite songs, albums, concerts, and artists. Hang on, I've been doing a music show for two years. Featuring Record Revolution. Join the Brothers Daily as we catalog the essential years that shaped popular music and our own lives. A very daily Christmas. An annual celebration of our favorite holiday tracks. Plus, all new episodes of Zoom for Sam. The show in which I share my joy of Samantha Fox by spotlighting a single single every single episode. And Pod Dylan. No, not Pod Dylan. We discussed this. That's staying on its own feed. Not Pod Dylan, but everything else I said. Plus, so much more. There's even a chance David Ace Gutierrez will show up. <laughs> 
Which brings us back to Fastball, which is really one of the most interesting American bands in the world today. When you think about the number of side projects and solo projects associated with the band, it actually almost out. Fire and Water Records, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. On the last episode, I shined a spotlight on the wondrous Wasp story from Solo Avengers 15. My guest was Sean Ross from the Pulped Pixels Network and the co-host of Marvel's Secret Wars and Beyond. Sean got a ton of praise from everybody who left a comment, so I don't have to repeat all of that. I will just say that for my own part, Sean is one of my very favorite podcasters to listen to or converse with. The other thing about the comments was everyone shared their favorite Wasp costume, which was cool. Nice to see so much variety and so many people thinking about the character. As for the specific comments, well, of course, these were the ones left on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. That is the same place you can leave a comment for this episode to be read on a future episode, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog and the Legion of Super Bloggers said, I am way more of a DC guy than a Marvel, but I have always been impressed with the Wasp every time we have crossed paths. One of my first stories with her was that Marvel team-up story Sean mentioned. Back then, comics informed a young Ange what love and relationships should be like. In that story, Janet wanders into Hank's lab wearing a negligee asking him to drop his work and join her. Later, she puts on her fighting togs to avenge his death. It was then, as a young Ange, I realized the goal is to find a woman who could do both. From then on, every story seemed to show that you can be a smart, intuitive leader while still having a little bit of fun. It is a style I try to emulate. Yeah, very cool. I, I, I couldn't have said it better. She's great. Uh, Chris Franklin from JLUcast and other shows here on the Fire and Water Network said, Being the Captain America guy that I am, I can't say Janet's the better Avengers leader, but I will say that she's at least top two. And when you're talking about Earth's Mightiest Heroes, that's nothing to sneeze at. Then he said, This story sounds fun, and anytime you can get a giant fist-firing robot into the story, well, that's just gravy. Nice. Uh, David Ace Gutierrez left a comment sharing which of the Wasp's various costumes throughout the years have been his favorites. He also recommended some other fishnet sporting characters I could or should cover, including Solitaire from the Micronauts book and Lady Killer from the Malibu comic series Strangers. Hmm, an Ultraverse book. What a bizarre recommendation from David Ace Gutierrez. Uh, Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks, as well as the Tough Like a Girl podcast right here on the Fire and Water Network, he mentioned how he's read or seen other versions of the characters who have gone by the name of the Wasp, but really doesn't have much exposure to the Janet Van Dyne version. That said, Nathaniel continued, it was great hearing you guys gush about her. Just from what I know on paper, I do agree that Hank Pym needs to be something from her past, and the default should be off in any kind of on-again, off-again situation. An annoying number of female heroes are defined by a connection to a man, either by romantic entanglement or by being a female variant of a better-known male character. I love me some She-Hulk, but I have to face reality on that. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally there with you. I completely agree. Uh, Rob Kelly from, oh, so many shows here on the Fire & Water Network said... The Wasp has always been a bit of an underrated or overlooked character. Nice she got a chance to shine here. My favorite Wasp moment was in Secret Wars where she single-handedly evades the X-Men, causing Wolverine to shake his fists in fury for being dumped on by the lowly Wasp. How's it feel, tough guy? I think Rob might be projecting something there. 
Uh, Ciscoid from FW Team Up and other shows on this network, including the Zero Hour podcast that's going to be kicking off soon. Ciscoid said, Solo Avengers was one of my favorite Avengers books at the time. No doubt because Hawkeye had a feature in every issue, and he's my favorite Avenger. I have always loved Hawkeye too. Ciscoid and or I should definitely do a Find Your Joy on Hawkeye sometime. That might be coming up. Uh, Tim Price heaped more praise onto Sean and our gushing over the Wasp, and both of you hit all of my favorite Janet Van Dyne moments, he said. While I'd read individual Avengers issues off and on for years, my subscription started with Avengers 205. The next 100 issues are my jam, and I haven't been able to quit the series since, except for Heroes Reborn, and I ain't sorry neither. (laughs) Good. Seriously, I thought of every one of those stories just before you guys mentioned it. What the heck? But nice to hear that it's not just me that appreciated those great moments in Wasp history. Awesome. Uh, Tim then added, Follow-up to who Janet should date. The Hercules idea fascinates me. During Incredible Hercules, there was an issue where Herc was visiting the Underworld, and on the way, he and his friends go through a Las Vegas-style casino, because what else would Purgatory look like? And there's Jan playing a slot machine, since she was dead at the time. And Herc badly wanted to pull her away, but it just wasn't possible. It was a hint of Herc's remorse, albeit one-sided. A true conversation between the two of them hasn't happened that I have seen, and him owning up to his bad behavior is long overdue. It's one of the twelve steps, Herc. <laughs> uh, Ward Hill Terry wrote, Thanks for covering the story, Ryan. Personally, I don't care for the art, as seen in the samples. Or the idea that there is something called Van Dyne Industries. Never mind that Janet wouldn't hire someone to rep it. I don't have to buy it. As for small characters inside big characters, I'm sure that's a use for phrasing again, uh, Ant-Man Hank inside The Vision, Avengers 96, The Vision inside Giant-Sized Hank as Yellow Jacket, Avengers 140, Ant-Man Scott inside Iron Man's Armor, Iron Man 133, and of course, across town, the Atom in Batman's Brain, Brave and the Bold 115. Not a fishnet in a carload. (laughs) Thanks for doing those research. I'll have to check out all those. Actually, most of them I I have read. If not, I think I've read all of those. Uh, Martin Gray of the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl said, I love Jan. She's the best Marvel heroine bar none, having grown from a flighty teenager to a seasoned heroine and superb leader without losing her joie de vivre. And the ever-changing costumes add huge fun. Uh, The Irredeemable Shag, who you just heard on this episode and from various shows on this network, said, Fantastic episode and love another diversion into the Marvel side of fishnets. Janet Van Dyne has always been one of my favorite Avengers, but I'm not sure I can trace back the origin of my fandom. Maybe Secret Wars, but in hindsight, that wasn't a great showing for her. And the final comment came from DM Mike, who said, Cool show and great guests, but it's been eight months since the last show. Is Power Fishnets dead or just on hiatus? Well, now it's been more like ten months, but it's clearly not dead. However, it's also not a priority for me at the moment. I have a feeling the next episodes I do will get back to Black Canary and or Zatanna, but I don't know when that will be. I just... My heart's not in it for those stories right now. Um, About six months ago, I started a reread of the Black Canary stories in World's Finest. I was really determined to cover those stories and complete that run for this podcast. In my mind, I remember them being great stories, but the more I read, the more disheartened I got because it felt like every issue started with Black Canary and it ended with her getting hurt or captured 
only to be rescued inevitably by Green Arrow in the second half of the story. And then Dinah would complain that she doesn't have enough independence, but that message is really undermined by her constant need to be rescued, and it just pissed me off. The more I read of those stories, the more I grew to actively hate the Green Arrow and Black Canary relationship. I always thought it was problematic, now I think it's like poisonous. They're okay separately, but together they're awful, and it just it made me not want to read or discuss those stories anytime in the future. So maybe when I get back to this podcast, I'll discuss Black Canary's appearances in the Ray comics from the 90s. But uh, you know, that probably won't be for two years. So <laughs> sorry. Um, but that is all for now. I want to thank the Irredeemable Shag for having a great discussion with me that just evolved into this episode. Check out some of his shows like Justice League International, Bwahaha Podcast, Who's Who, Aquaman and Firestorm, and Digest Cast, all right here on the Fire and Water Network. Power Fishnets is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Power of Fishnets Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01, where you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Power of Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed in the show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quick text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. Spare my devil. Love.